Welcome to another episode of In Reserve, the Prosperity Podcast, where we focus on all things to do with the Reserve Protocol stablecoin. My name is Michael, and I'll be your host. Are you ready? Let's get started. First, a word from our sponsors, Recursive and Joe and Kit. Recursive connects applications so your critical data is available exactly where you need it. They can sync any apps in the cloud or hosted on your site, making your data more useful and visible to your teams. Visit recursive.com for more details. That's R-E-C-U-R-S-Y-V.com, recursive, data where you want it. Mention the podcast or RSR for 20% off your subscription. Also, if you're an entrepreneur or small business looking to outsource your bookkeeping or need help understanding your financial situation, Joe and Kit has just the solution for you. They provide a wide range of services from bookkeeping to tax advice for businesses and crypto to financial analysis to implementing business operating systems such as EOS and Lean Six Sigma. Visit joeandkit.com today, J-O-E-A-N-D-K-I-T.com and mention the podcast for your first month free. On this episode of the podcast, we've got the queen of reserve, you know her as at Sweet Center 3 on Twitter. I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name as we can get to that in a little bit. Uh, welcome and thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast. How do I pronounce your name? Thanks, Michael. <laughs> it's so it's actually Neve um, with the NH at the end being pronounced like a V. Um, oh. It's Irish. Yeah, like Gaelic language. That's why it's so difficult. But uh, yeah, so it's like eve with an n that's what i'll always say to people um but yeah for anybody in north america or anybody living anywhere outside of ireland uh yeah they usually can't get it right but that's okay <laughs> right so it's pronounced or it's it's spelled n-i-a-m-h and it's pronounced neve that's right it's neve like um i think there's other words like saoirse ronan's got one of those names that you, it doesn't really sound like it's spelt so it's just, it's how we say it, like kind of like phone in English language is said with an F. We say V for MH, uh, right, same kind of concept. That, that, that's a great, that's a great comparison. Um, just a little briefer on what this podcast is about for those of you guys new here. Uh, I started in hopes to build community uh, within the RSR community, as well as help people learn and understand the project more. And part of community building was getting to know some of the bigger members of the reserve space and getting to know them a little bit outside of crypto. Um, so with that in mind, I think a great starting point would be getting to know you better. Um, so if you'd like to give the listeners just a super quick introduction about yourself for those who don't already know you, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously, my name's Neve. I am 33 years old. I am a oncology nurse by trade. Um, I, yeah, I've been probably doing nursing for like 10 years now. Um, I lived and um, have been born in Ireland. Um, on the east coast I've been living here I lived here until I was 23 and then I moved to Australia for a few years um, so I was there for about seven years and then I came back to Ireland basically to my roots so I am um, like I said day-to-day uh, -day working as a nurse in oncology and um, 10 years doing it switching between um, hematology and oncology but um, my second job basically is now uh, crypto and talking about reserve on twitter Awesome. Uh, I, there's many things I want to touch on there. First thing I want to touch on is is sort of your Irish background and your accent. 
Um, you had mentioned, and I didn't actually know this, uh, you had mentioned that you had lived in Australia for about seven years. Um, do people in Ireland find your accent a little bit weird? What, is there any type of Australian accent influence to there or to you? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think what happened is when I moved to Australia, I picked up on the fact that I spoke really fast um, obviously my I say ors very differently to people and I had to try and switch up how I spoke and um, just not to change myself but just to kind of blend in a little bit better um, but that was one thing that people pointed out was how fast I spoke and then when I came home um, my parents would say to me oh you've got an Australian twang and I'm like what where did that come from and um, obviously I'm married to an American as well so that has uh, even amalgamated my accent even more but I'm coming back to the Irish accent trying to slow it down a little bit <laughs> but it's it's kind of a hybrid of of uh, different accents I, I do pick up on other people's accents and tend to blend them in so yeah that's a problem <laughs> <laughs> does your husband have an accent yeah I mean he's from California so it's it's definitely it's still there but he he's now picked up the Irish slang Okay. So he's got a bit more of an Irish twang now, as his parents say. So yeah. Okay. And you said you were on the the east coast of of Ireland. Yeah, that's right. I'm about thirty minutes north of Dublin, uh, very close to the city centre. So I actually travel up and down for work. Um, I where I live is very country, very. Um, we're in the middle of the woods, basically, uh, fields all around us. I don't live in like an, a housing estate. It's it's like a standalone house next to my parents and um, my actually my late grandmother's house. So really out in the country, um, there's like not a lot of things around, uh, very quiet. So I like to I tend to like to get into the city a lot. Um, but with lockdown, I mean, we've been struggling to get out more, which is tough. But yeah, I like it. It's nice and quiet. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And you being so close to, to Dublin, uh, which is a gigantic city, uh, would, would have the benefits of both, right? So when you want that kind of loud and bustle and, and the events and activity happening, you just kind of make your way into the city. And when you want that quiet and, and nice, relaxed feeling, you just kind of make your way back home. So yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, for those of us who don't know or aren't as familiar with, with Ireland, um, can you describe kind of the two different, it's, it's Northern Ireland versus the Republic of Ireland, Ireland, right? Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah. And what the differences right. between the both, the both of them are? Yeah. So um, Northern Ireland is technically England. It's owned by England. So if you go way back, um, Ireland was obviously its own country and 800 years ago, it was, uh, use the word invaded by England yeah of course it was they took over and had ruled Ireland right up until the early um, 20th century so around 1912 to 1920 people kind of got a bit and I suppose pissed off with England owning us and uh, rebelled so the agreement was back then was that England would keep six counties so it's 32 counties in Ireland they keep six down in the Republic here we have the rest and they rule completely differently. So when you step over the border into Northern Ireland, there's no technical border, it's an invisible border. You can drive across and you wouldn't even know you're in Northern Ireland. Uh, and when you're up there, it's the pound. So you're using the English pound. And then when you come back down, you're using the Euro. So uh, we've obviously gonna have a few issues happening with Brexit coming in. Um, we don't know what they are yet, but 
basically going to the shop this week have noticed that a lot of um, the stuff is local produce we're missing out on a lot of um, stuff from England and the EU it's, it, we're having difficulty getting some um, items in and it's it's just kind of starting to impact now whether it's related to lockdown not sure but there's there's a kind of a feel in the air that Brexit kind of is starting to uh, put its foot down a little bit with Amazon orders as well we're even having difficulties but um yeah there, there, there is a vast there was never really a vast difference in my generation between Northern Ireland and the Republic but I can see it becoming more problematic over the next few years um but yeah it's, it, it's just a thing yeah is there is there a bit of a fear that you may not be able to get the the resources or or even grow the resources locally um that are necessary in order to I guess keep the population alive and fed yeah, or, or, that, or that think, prices will increase. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of us realized that this was actually going to follow through. Um, we kind of laughed about it when it was um, suggested by England that they were going to have this Brexit. Everybody was kind of thinking it was a bit of a joke. But when it actually followed through, um, I suppose we haven't really thought about the implications. And um, my parents, I mean, talking to them, they didn't think it was really going to ever happen. But it seems like it is. And it's only in the last few weeks that we've noticed that things are getting a little bit more difficult. Now, we obviously can get things from the EU. It just England was that kind of channel um, and Northern Ireland are getting absolutely screwed over worse than us because they're kind of like that middle child in a divorce that's getting no um, attention at the moment. We don't want them because we can't afford them. And England basically ignore them. So it's they're having a tough time um, and I don't know what's going to happen. Some people would talk about maybe us taking them on and Ireland becoming united, but I don't ever see that happening. Too many issues would come about and I'd say too much unrest. So yeah, it's. I don't think it's gonna, um, I don't see how it's going to really unfold over the next few weeks to months to years um, until England decide what they want to do with Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's definitely an interesting point, and and I don't see necessarily um, you guys taking them on as as a solution either, given all of the the history and and a lot of people feeling very strongly about the the other side, um, especially when you got Protestants, Catholics, and whatever. Um, so it's it's definitely <laughs> going to be an, an interesting time coming up, um, uh, and and I guess we'll see where the where the cards fall when when England kind of makes their move and and see that the shakeout from all that from everybody around them. So. Um, definitely interesting. Uh, with regards to sort of some of the uh, common misconceptions or Irish um, stereotypes, if you will, um, how many how many Guinnesses do you consume a week, or, or is that is that is that a thing that's overblown for everybody else in the world? You know, like I I definitely the odd time will have a Guinness. It's it's not something that we we drink like on a daily basis or have for breakfast, which some people have suggested. But my um my dad would that's what he drinks all the time. My brothers, that's what they drink. Um, but that's just a personal preference. Is it a thing? Yeah, I suppose it is. Um, you have to have a Guinness if you're going out in Dublin, sometimes in Temple Bar. It's just one of those things people do. Um the Guinness brewery house is massive here uh, they do huge tours and people uh, they just love the whole idea of, of that with um common misconceptions i suppose with irish people is that we do drink too much and um, it it has 
some grounds for sure um it being a cold country a bit depressing um people do general generationally i find people do drink more than other countries and definitely when i compare myself to my family or my um husband's family we do we drink a lot more we're more social in that regard everything revolves around alcohol so if somebody dies you drink if somebody's born you drink if it's a christening or a confirmation you drink that's it seems to all revolve around alcohol um, our generation is breaking that a little bit more but there's we still we still kind of uh, stick to that terrible stereotype yeah that's uh, um, sounds sounds like a fun time <laughs> <laughs> it is it's great i mean we we do we we definitely have great nightlife and stuff um, and with lockdown you have noticed people are like taking more liquor off the the shelves just to have at home people aren't um out drinking so they're drinking at home more um and yeah that's the thing we definitely do drink far too much <laughs> but in terms <laughs> of what you guys drink because i know uh, so i'm in vancouver canada and uh, it seems like even in the recent i would say maybe five years or decade there's been a huge influx of of irish uh, people coming over here either on work visas and, and just kind of spending some time here before going back home or or finding themselves settling here uh um, for for a long time, and and it seems like, uh, so so I, I actually one of my one of my really close friends that I used to work with at a previous job, um, he was Irish um, from a small I think small town or small county called Limerick, um, and he was huge on hurling and and Dermot Kennedy and all these all these things that that, that we've talked about previously in uh, on our Discord chat um, or or on Twitter. Um, so he always talks about Guinness and how it's not the same. It doesn't taste the same here as it does back in Ireland, um, and he. He is strongly for for Jameson and won't drink Bushmills and um and there's there's all these little stereotypes and and and, and little yeah it's true yeah it's yeah true. <laughs> yeah definitely with the Guinness does not taste the same and I don't know whether it's the water or what it is but whatever way it's made in Ireland it it somebody had mentioned something about the CO two that that's used in it I don't know but it in Ireland it is completely different to anywhere across the world. Always on St. Patrick's Day, I'd have a pint of Guinness. It's just a thing. I'll always have one on Christmas Eve as well. It's just a tradition in our family. But in Australia, I go into the Irish pub and it was just awful. It, it was flat. It doesn't have the same head. They don't pour it the right way. Like you have to only pour three quarters and then let it settle. And then you top it up. But for some reason, that hasn't been communicated around the world. And uh, yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same as Ireland. Yeah, I can tell you that definitely doesn't happen here in terms of the way they pour it. <laughs> uh, is Jameson as big of a thing in Ireland as it is uh, around the world of what we think Irish people drink? Oh, it's, it's huge. I mean, every Christmas, we, we that's what we get as gifts, basically. People will bring over, you know, a box of, you know, chocolates and it'll always be a bottle of whiskey. 99% of the time, it's going to be a bottle of Jemson. That's what I drink if I'm ever having a whiskey. Hot whiskeys are a big thing as well. So if it gets winter time and you get cold, that's what we have. Usually with cloves and lemon, I'll have a hot whiskey. Um, but my dad, he'll drink that with like red lemonade. I don't know if you guys get red lemonade in Canada. I don't know um, what that is. You know, ba basically it's, it's like a soda, but it's, it's red. Um, I think it's banned in England actually for the flavorings or the artificial colors that are in it. Um, but we use it a lot here. It's like, um, like a red, red soda, uh, don't ask me how to explain it, <laughs> but that's what we use usually. That's what my dad drinks anyway. 
I'll have to look that up after after this podcast, right? Lemonade and try to make myself one of those. <laughs> oh, they're awful. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only imagine. Are there any other misconceptions that uh, of Irish people that um, that you'd like to talk about or bring up? Oh, I mean millions. I mean, if people say obviously that we're backward. They obviously think that we're all stupid. Um, the leprechaun thing gets on my nerves, I suppose, but that's just a bit of fun. Um, but the backwards thing uh, that we don't have good technology that we aren't uh, advanced really um that we're a bit thick uh, that's usually the joke the irish jokes and in australia i got that a lot the irish jokes would always be flowing but i i enjoyed them I, you know you just throw yourself into the culture um and there's, there's a great i find with australians and irish people we just seem to get on really well uh, so we people usually have an Irish background and in America as well, people have an Irish background. So you can kind of connect with people and there's that kind of bond. Oh, my great, 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 great grandfather was Irish. Um, and 99 percent of the time I'll say, where were they from? And they haven't got a clue. But it's it's nice to um, to meet those people that have those Irish connections. Uh, but the rest of the world, I suppose, thinks that we are yeah a little bit backwards that we live in thatched houses we don't have any electricity that we all that English is our second language is one thing that somebody once said to me um but it's not we have two languages Gaelic and Irish but 90% of us can't actually speak Gaelic it's it's English um since birth and that's what we speak yeah are there other words that are mixed and I guess it's a good segue to talking about weird words that North Americans don't really understand that that Irish people uh -huh. say and and oh my goodness um, when I worked at interestingly enough I worked at an oncology company when I was talking about uh, my time working with uh, this Irish friend that I that I know um, and there was uh, two there was actually three people from from Ireland uh, at that company and they were all around my age and there was one person from Wales and sometimes when they would talk I would kind of get lost in all of the all of the words and terminology <laughs> and it would just be uh, it, it would be an experience in and of itself especially when we went out for a couple of drinks and after that it, I was completely lost I could not understand a thing um, are there some some words or things that that North Americans don't necessarily understand that Irish people use in their day-to-day -day language well, I think the number one word that um, my husband was always saying was, you know, we would say, what's the crack? You know, what's what's up with you? Like, how are you doing? And he'd be like, what's this about crack? Like, what? who's taking crack? And I'm like, no, what? <laughs> the crack is the fun. Like, it's like, what's the crack? What's the story? Like, tell me, you know, what's going on with you? And that was one that in Australia as well, I, I found people were bewildered when I'd say it. And then I realized, what am I actually saying? And where does that word come from? And I'm one of those people that I love to know where a word comes from and kind of the, the origin of it, especially with sayings as well. Like we, we will have all these little sayings um, that I, I love to kind of figure out why do we say this? And, and you know, why is this a thing? But the crack, I actually still don't really know its origin. I suppose it's the Irish for fun or, you know, it, it is an Irish word and it's just, it's been spread across our, our language. And we forget when we talk to people outside of Ireland that they haven't got a clue what we're talking about. And um, other words, I suppose for, you know, <laughs> toilets, we say going to the jacks. Um, my husband again was completely bewildered by that. Um, instead of elevators, it's lifts. Instead of toilets, it's loo. Instead of, uh, 
chips, we say crisps, we say <laughs> chips for French fries, which is wildly confusing for yes, people in I North America. Yes, I actually very much confused. <laughs> the the multiple times we went, we went out to a bar to get food and it'd be chips and they'd be very, I'd be very confused. The, the waiter or waitress would bring back um, something different from what they had expected um, when they ordered. And it was just hilarious. <laughs> it's, yeah, this is the thing. It, I love this though. And because the differences, you can really see them. And when you're explaining it to somebody, like my husband would say to me as well, you know, what's the deal with having in Ireland, we have a hot and a cold tap. So like when you look at your sink, you've got a hot tap on the left and a cold tap on the right. And he's like, I don't understand how that works. Do you know, it, because then I know that there's one faucet where everything comes out like in, in in America and he was like I don't understand this we use things like immersions which are like a heating system as well and um, that he hadn't got a clue about and, and everybody knows everybody in Ireland as well so there's very much a parish mentality of you know everyone knows everybody's business and he found that really hard to uh, adjust to when he came here because he was kind of from a big suburb um everybody was kind of anonymous and in Ireland you just know everybody like actually on Twitter somebody had posted um a gif of a guy cheersing a Guinness only a, week, a few weeks ago and I actually knew the guy in the picture I was like oh my god I actually know that guy he went out with my roommate I think it was um Temperance that had posted it maybe or no who was it I can't remember but it was just they were like <laughs> Temperance had said underneath oh my god please don't um show the that Irish people know each other and I was like it's so true though we seem to know everybody on the island or someone knows somebody else and that's a really hard um thing for an outsider to come into um, and my husband has adapted really well in that respect um because you know everybody he goes into the local shop and everyone knows who, who he is because of his accent it's just we're very nosy people I suppose right <laughs> it's actually funny yeah. because I, I noticed that here too and it's Two Irish people will talk about uh, like where where they came from and and even being on another continent, um, they they find some way to to tie it in. Oh, my sister's friend or whatever was from was from that city, and do you know so and so? And do you know so and so? And all of a sudden they get yeah. to talking, and it's like they find some way, some some degree of separation between the two of them, like instantly. It's 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 they, kind of it's crazy. It's like witchcraft. It's an, it's insane. It's <laughs> Any, anybody they talk to it is. it's it's yes it's, it it's very strange but it's true like and also in ireland they'll say things like um especially if, if somebody's going out with somebody or you're starting to date they'll immediately say well who's his father and and who's his who's her mother to try and find out the line um of the generation and they will judge that person based on their family so <laughs> It's, it's a really tough one in terms of um, you can't be an independent person of your family sometimes because you're going to be associated with them. Um, and that's just, again, an Irish thing. I don't know why we do that. Yeah, it seems it's to be strange. a very traditional way to, to think about things. Oh, yeah. And it still sits to this day. But yeah, I, I love it here. It's great. I mean, I like the parish mentality. It's, it's, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, switching up to your, to your job, your day-to-day your -day job of being a nurse. Um, first things first, uh, how has COVID affected you guys? Uh, it, it, right now, we're probably at the worst we have ever been. Um, it started back in March was when everything kind of kicked off. Uh, the ward that I was on, obviously, is an oncology ward. It's got 14 single rooms, um, which means our patients were highly protected. When COVID hit, 
we were evacuated out of that ward or decanted as we call it and they actually placed COVID patients into those single rooms to try and isolate them so we were bunched together in six bedded bays um, on a geriatric ward and COVID unfortunately hit the ward and spread like wildfire not a nice time uh, things got very hectic a lot of staff went out it got incredibly busy and then when it settled down, we got to get back to our ward and we are currently still there. Since the second wave has hit, we haven't had a single COVID case on our ward, but it's it's rampant in the rest of the hospital. Uh, we are in a bit of a bubble, thank God, that we're, we're very protected. And these patients are they're highly um, vulnerable in that they have no immune systems and if they get COVID I mean it, it will potentially be fatal and we saw that back in March we lost probably five or six which was um, incredibly difficult to deal with but now we are very adamant that we don't want to be moved um, and that we want to stay exactly where we are um, but on a day-to-day -day basis I have to say that I, we are managing well uh, in our bubble but the other areas of the hospital are not. So I'm lucky in that regard. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, and that does make sense, right? If, if these, if these, uh, if these patients are already fighting cancer and, and trying to use all their energy and, and all their, what's left of their immune system to try to battle something like that, that they're not going to have enough strength or energy to, to fight COVID as well. Um, in terms of your guys's uh, track record, and, and right now, as you said, uh, knock on wood, hopefully uh, you guys have, have continued to to kind of steer clear away from COVID? Is there something that you guys are doing in your area or your ward that's different from others? Not really. Um, we were kind of uh, targeted in terms of the COVID vaccine. So it came out in Ireland on the 30th of December and a number of staff were told, um, we, you've been picked, do you want it? Um, and I got on the boat immediately and had the vaccine and it was to try and stop the staff leaving and going off sick because that's the number one issue that we've been having the patients haven't had any vaccines yet because they're immunosuppressed <laughs> whether we're guinea pigs in terms of ourselves as staff it's just the staff that are being targeted first so that the work you know the workforce is there to deal with um, the patients uh, in terms of what we're we doing with the cancer patients not anything different in that well, we wear the masks 24-7 at work um, and a 13-hour shift of that, uh, yeah, it's tough. But, you know, we've we've adapted and I'm happy to do it um, because it, it's, it's obviously protecting the patients. We're not doing things a whole lot different apart from visiting as well. Nobody can come into the hospital unless somebody is obviously end-of-life care or there's, you know, something has to be discussed that's pretty um, confidential. Then there's certain things that they have to go through some people have to be swabbed before they come in 24 hours before um and that's mainly the things that have happened but we're, we've been incredibly lucky that nothing has spread and um, everybody's been really careful uh going in and out of work and um, we lost our uniforms so we have to wear scrubs now which is fine again uh, but that's about it i mean it's just out in the community and the lockdown that's really affecting people talking to family members on the phone, trying to update them all the time is the hardest part, especially when they haven't seen their 
maybe their mother or the father for weeks on end. And if they come in to see them because they're talking to the doctors, some people can get a bit of a shock uh, as to how much their mother or father has either deteriorated or changed in that time. That's the most difficult part is trying to reassure the family members and that, you know, we're doing our best. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a difficult situation. I mean, uh, I can only speak from from what I see here or where, where I am in Vancouver. Um, there are even very limited visits to um, to senior care homes and, and assisted living. Um, and and it's, it can be very difficult, right? Especially when you've got a, a family member or a loved one that's near the end of their, their life um, to not have the ability to, to cherish those last um, last few moments with them and even be able to say goodbye is, is definitely something that, that I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Um, so, so it's definitely difficult, uh, but obviously everybody around the world is just trying to do what we can to, to get through this. And hopefully um, as more people are vaccinated um, that there is some type of, uh, of recovery from this and that, and that we can kind of put this in the rearview mirror and, and move forward from it. Um, a couple of things yeah. that I wanted to touch on and uh, because I, I, I do this right now in my day-to-day -day life uh, as, as masks are required here where I am. Um, and, and you were talking about how long you wear a mask on a daily basis. Uh, are you just wearing one of those regular masks and how much does that hurt the back of your ears? Cause even for me, it's like, I don't know if I've just got a bigger head than everybody, but, but, but like the back of my ears are just on fire after even like two or three hours, let alone what you had mentioned, I think something like 13 hours a day. Yeah. I mean, we have the, the medical grade masks and we will change them every time we go on break or at, you know, every time we need to, I suppose. But we, um, somebody knitted these kind of, I can't even describe them. They're like little crochet strips with a button on each end. Literally the, um, I suppose the string will clip around the button and it sits at the back of your head. So it's way away from your ears. And that's what we've been using at work because they have been cutting in the first few weeks. Everybody was, um, I suppose it was, it was cutting right into, into our ears and we figured out that this was a better way of doing it is clipping it right back at the back of your head. So that's what we've been doing and it's been working. Um, uh, it's the, I suppose with the mask, if you're wearing glasses, again, I'm sure everybody's been dealing with this going out in the community or going into a shop is if you've got glasses, they're fogging up, you can't see properly. I mean, these are minor things in the, the grand scale of things, I suppose. Um, to wear a mask and the 13 hours yeah it gets annoying sometimes you just have to take it off just get into the staff room on your own take a breather and come back out but it's I don't find it uh, too uncomfortable um I've actually adapted quite well to it I suppose um, and I forget about it 90% of the time and I think reminding people that these this thing, what we're doing is actually going to help so many people, vulnerable people out in the community. I think vulnerable people, a lot of them say, well, they should stay at home. And it's like, but you, you, you can't tell everybody to stay at home because some have to come into hospital for treatment or whatever. And we're just protecting people. Um, I'm, I understand the frustration and I understand people getting really fed up and people are getting to a point where they're really fed up. You can see that across the world. Um, but we, with the vaccine coming out, some people mightn't take it as well. And I don't want to get controversial on it because there's definitely two sides to the, the, the COVID um, argument, I suppose. But in my opinion, I think if everybody that can partakes in the vaccine, that we will start to see a lift maybe on all these lockdowns. 
um, and that we are helping people at the end of the day, fingers crossed. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I have that same mentality as well, especially when it comes to wearing a mask and it's just like, it doesn't limit my ability to do anything. It's not like I'm trying to tie my hands behind my back. You just put on a piece of cloth around around your face and away you go and, and everything. Obviously there are little inconveniences like you had mentioned for those who wear glasses, it can be quite the, uh, the annoyance. Um, but at the same time, you just hope that it's as uh, it's going to end sometime soon. And, and it's just a temporary measure that's gone on, obviously, a lot longer than people initially expected. But hopefully uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're, and we're slowly getting there. Um, with regards to the vaccine, uh, just out of curiosity, how long ago did you take it and which one did you take? And have you noticed anything different? No, I got the Pfizer one and that was on the 30th of December. And I'm that's Jewish. the, uh, is that, is that the one, that's the one that you only need to take once, right? That's not the two doses? No, th this is actually the, the two doses. Okay. So I've got um, my next one due next Wednesday, I think it is, which is um, January 20th. So I, they say that the reaction will happen with the second one. So um, I'll let you guys know, but <laughs> the first one um, was just basically a sore arm. So I had it and I was absolutely fine afterwards. There's a few people at work that maybe got like flu symptoms, but again, flu vaccine will do that to you. So very hard to compare, um, but we will know on the second injection, that's usually when the reactions happen. And I had COVID back in March, so I haven't had a big reaction to the vaccine, I'd say, because I already have the antibodies. Um, so we'll see uh, what happens with the second one, but no problems so far and not really a whole lot of complaints from people. No. Oh, you had you had COVID back in March. I didn't know this. Uh, before we oh, touch on before we touch on that, because that that's something that I'm curious about. And obviously, everybody uh, reacts differently having had COVID. Um, my myself, I haven't had it before, so I, I wouldn't know how I would react to that or whether I'd be asymptomatic or not. Um, is did they give you a timeline as to when you would theoretically become immune to COVID after taking the two shots, or is it in between one of the two, or is it a certain time period after the second? How does that work, or do they even know? So what we were told is seven days after the second shot, that's when you will be immune to COVID or you'll have enough antibodies. And it's not a live vaccine as such. It's it's basically the DNA antibodies of COVID. So it's just creating a immune immunity in your body. Um, so a lot of people say, oh, it's a live vaccine. It's actually not. Um, so seven days after was when the antibodies should have fully, uh, I suppose, taken. And that's when they're saying that, you know, we've got our little passport cards that we've signed that will give us the ability to travel, I suppose. Um, and people, again, conspiracy will say, oh, this is a control method, but it's basically a safety method, I feel, um, that we know who's vaccinated and who's not um, to protect people, um, but yeah. Right, for sure, for sure. And it's not necessarily Bill Gates creating a vaccine so he can control the whole world and, and yada, yada, yada. You can go well, down I'm, quite the, uh, the rabbit hole if you look yeah. online at some of these things. I'm, I've got an auntie like that, so I'm I'm happy to sit there and listen to her and hear her point of view. I'm always open to a debate. I'm always open to hearing what people have to say, and I will take it with a pinch of salt or I will take it on board. But yeah, everyone should be allowed to have an opinion, but as long as it's not hurting or affecting anybody else, um, I think that that's fine. I agree. Um, so you had mentioned that you uh, had COVID in March. Um, so you that that's actually very early considering, well, I guess... Um, there are obviously different reports as to when it started in China, whether it was December of last year, or I guess last last year in 2019, or, or even a bit before that. But 
but for for the most part, um, the I guess the rest of the world really started to clamp down on on travel and to and to 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 start factoring for this thing in, in March. And so you were pretty early, one of the first ones, I guess, to to get COVID. Um, how was that experience? So it was it was because of the outbreak on the ward. It started um, with one patient who spread it to basically everybody. And then it just it spread from staff member to staff member. We were going in every day and we check our temperatures in the morning to make sure that they're OK. We do it in Celsius. So anything above um, 37.5, then you need to go home and you need to be either swabbed and I had gone in and my temperature was like 37.6, wasn't feeling great that day. They were immediately like, get out of here, went and got swabbed. And um, the first one came back as a negative. Um, but then I started having severe temperatures, aches and pains, you know, the cough, the shortness of breath. Um, so re-swabbed and then it came back negative again, but I was told you have created, like you haven't got the viral load that's built up yet. Reswabbed again and it came back positive a few days later. So basically what was happening was I was being swabbed too early um, is what they were telling me. And then the last one came back positive when I had created this viral load, uh, supposedly. Um, but yeah, horrible, like 14 days uh, quarantine or, you know, I'm locked in a room basically and I had the temperatures the aches and pains just feeling awful probably mild in comparison to some people there was two nurses on our ward and um, that were hospitalized one ended up getting like fluid on the lungs and another girl ended up getting like a kind of a fluid on the heart both of them still struggling to kind of get back to work they had like maybe 14 16 weeks off but um, slowly recovering um, and they are girls of uh, one girl's Indian and one girl is Filipino I found that uh, the Indian and Filipino girls were nearly getting worse I don't know if it's their genetics but they were really slammed um, when it came to the symptoms where the Irish we seem to just have your normal flu symptoms and then we were coming back to work within the 14 days the other girls were taking a lot longer to recover that's definitely an interesting point that, that you bring up there. And I wonder um, if it has to do, obviously there's been different research done and, and it seems to be evolving on a daily, if not weekly basis um, with regards to deficiencies in different vitamins, right? Vitamin D deficiency, uh, zinc deficiency, vitamin C deficiencies, uh, things that can, they won't necessarily stop you from getting COVID, but will decrease the amount of symptoms you could potentially get from that. And I wonder if there is some type of connection to that, um, uh, but, but that is a very interesting uh, observation that you've made. Um, another one was very interesting that you basically had two, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say maybe uh, two false positive or two false negative tests that, that you had, um, which is another scary thing that's kind of going around right now, right? People get tested, uh, but, but we're finding false negatives and false positives everywhere. Actually, there was a pretty big case um, here recently, uh, locally in Vancouver. Uh, we had a local sports team, uh, the Vancouver Canucks. They play a game called hockey that I'm not too sure if you if you know uh, ice hockey. I do. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and a guy on the team, uh, I guess a day before the the first game of the season last week, uh, he had four tests and two came back positive and two came back negative, um, and they were kind of crisscrossed. Yeah. So so it was very difficult for them to figure out what was going on. And and obviously there is a bit of a, a chance of error in these in these tests right now, which is kind of scary. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think that we have had several patients that were swabbed and were showing all symptoms and they were coming back negative. And then people that 
had absolutely no symptoms and they were coming back positive. Um, and it, I think it all does sit down to, like you say, the vitamins, vitamin D and the zinc and the antibodies that people maybe already have from, from different viruses. I don't know. Genetics as well seems to play a part on it. it, it it's a minefield at the moment. And I think it's very hard to have a clear opinion on it because nobody really does. There's not enough research on it. And um, we're all a little bit in limbo and people definitely it breeds that kind of conspiracy theory of, well, you know, these these tests are coming back positive and people are um, you know, they're they're absolutely fine or they're coming back negative and they have all the symptoms. And um, you know, people will say, does COVID exist? 100 percent yes, I will say. As a nurse, I've seen it firsthand, it's there. Um patients definitely presented differently and as it spread it was very fast fatal in many instances and it yeah I mean we could talk about COVID all day but it really it's there it's scary and the vulnerable are going to be in big trouble if we don't do something to kind of quell this soon but yeah yeah for sure um and and I think uh obviously us uh, I think we're mostly on the same page in terms of how we approach this, but obviously, like you had mentioned, there are other people who, who look at these things differently, but I think what we can all agree upon is that let's hope that at some point this year, hopefully sooner than later, that this thing is put behind us, um, we're able to move forward from this, uh, protect those that need protection, and, and we can just go go forth uh, living our regular lives again and being able to see each other and hug and, and do all these different things. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's definitely something that, that, I, that I miss obviously especially over the holidays as well uh, not being able to see friends and family and, and and having all these restrictions and not even being able to do things and I don't know uh, what the restrictions are where you are but like for for me here in Vancouver Canada it's like a lot of these events that you would normally go to um, uh, whether they be Christmas lights events or, or, or a Christmas train or something like that they, they were basically all canceled this year so it didn't feel as festive as, as other years and we don't get much snow here so it definitely didn't feel as festive as as, as what it would have felt like in years past. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything? Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying like, I, like that's what a lot of people like Christmas was very different for people this year. People really, it, it didn't have the same flow and those events that people go to as well, like sports events and we can't do that anymore. Going over to people's houses is kind of frowned upon um, and it's, it's, it's very difficult for people and I can understand the frustrations for sure. I just, uh, yeah, like I say, we're on the same page in that respect and I hope by the end of this year, it'll all have maybe dissipated or we'll have done something differently to, to hopefully improve the outlook. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so so let's move on from this and let's talk about something else um, yeah. and more and more towards crypto. But before we do that, um, I want to uh, say first a word from our sponsor, Recursive. If you would like to sync data between applications, Recursive can seamlessly connect any apps, giving your data more value. Your company and your customers can benefit from you having important information in the right place at the right time. Visit recursive.com, R-E-C-U-R-S-Y-V.com. And don't forget to mention this podcast for 20% off. Okay, so let's move on to crypto, which is how we got a chance to, to, to really know each other and, uh, and kind of meet online was, was through Twitter. Uh, what was your introduction to crypto? 
Yeah, so it was actually my father-in-law who introduced me. Um, he is a professor of, or was a professor of cybersecurity in, when he worked in Dubai years ago. And I was living in uh, Adelaide, Australia, and he came over to visit, flew in. And basically from the moment he landed to the end of the trip, he kept talking about Bitcoin. And at first, I suppose when I heard the word Bitcoin, the first thing that came to mind was dark web, um, you know, criminal activity. That's what was placed in my mind as a lay person. I didn't understand it. I didn't really, you know, why he was so um, obsessed with it. But he kept saying, you've got to watch this documentary. It's called Magic Money on YouTube. I think most people have probably seen it. It's about an hour long. And he sat us down one night and I thought, oh God, I have to sit through this. And um, because he was he was very much into like conspiracy theories and he would always talk about all the dark web and what's going on. But he really, he had firsthand account being um, the professor of cybersecurity and had a massive IT background and watched this. And I thought, my God, what is this? This peer to peer currency, borderless. There's no middleman and uh, nobody can control it. Nobody can stop it. And it kind of blew my mind a bit that I was like, how is this legal, first of all? Um, how is anybody allowing this to happen? And then when I realized nobody can actually stop it, it really perked my interest. So that evening, um, looked up the price. I think it was January 2017, and it was 900 and about 60 or $70 and I remember thinking, oh, God, I don't want to put nearly a thousand dollars into something that I don't really know anything about. So I forgot about it for a while. And, you know, come August 2017, I was like, I wonder how Bitcoin's doing. I took out my phone and I was about four and a half thousand at that point. And I thought, what? Why didn't I jump in? Why didn't I buy it? You know, FOMO kicked in and I decided I'm going to buy a Bitcoin. So got tax returns that year and basically bought one bitcoin with that and it was at the very start of the bull run so i was very lucky where i got in and it took it to about ten and a half eleven thousand and i cashed out there um, and doubled my money and immediately i was hooked into crypto um so that was my first introduction to bitcoin i suppose that's yeah. awesome. Uh, did you know at the time that you could buy less than one full Bitcoin? Obviously, your consideration was that it was almost a thousand dollars. You didn't want to spend a thousand on it. But did you know you could have put in like ten dollars or a hundred bucks? Yeah, and I think the I didn't. What, there's something about the one Bitcoin. It was like a psychological marker that I wanted to own one, and I kept saying to myself, "I really just want to own one." And I. I that's the thing the mentality of crypto is that people don't want to buy it at two or four ten dollars a hundred dollars they want to buy it when it's big and i wanted to own that one bitcoin especially when people started talking about the fact that there's only 21 million bitcoin in the world and if every millionaire in the world wanted to own one it's impossible um and then i kind of got in that mindset that i have to have one bitcoin as well it's that round number um i'm like to round my numbers when I'm buying crypto, you know, you don't buy 121 or something, you buy 100 or you buy 200 or 300. And having that one Bitcoin, it just, it sat well with me. And if it was going to be huge, 
I wanted to say I own a Bitcoin because it's a bit of a bragging rights as well, I suppose. Yes, it, yeah. it definitely is. And, and the, the psychological factor uh, definitely plays in, especially even now when we talk about price targets and, and selling at certain prices and they're always round, either they're a dollar or they're 50 cents. Um, it's just a psychological thing uh, for humans to, to want to have that complete, that whole number. Um, it's very weird. <laughs> I, I find it very yeah, weird myself being an accountant and kind of always being around numbers that everybody tends to talk about things in a very roundabout way. Uh, whether it's even going to the store and buying, I don't know, five apples or 10 apples, you're never thinking about buying four <laughs> apples, but it's like, do you really need that fifth one? And most of the time you generally don't, it's just becomes a nice round number that, that you're satisfied with. Um, so that's definitely interesting. Uh, you had mentioned that you cashed out when, uh, when the price doubled, or I guess you doubled your, your money. Um, when did you go back into the market again? Cause obviously you were in there in 2017, um, and then cashed out, uh, and obviously you're in it now again. Um, did you have a bit of a lull in between, or, or were you right back in it afterwards? Uh, I, I think I jumped straight back in. Uh, like, I think that the price had gotten to maybe um, in Australian dollars about 18,000, 19,000, and it dipped all the way back down to about 5,000. I think it actually got to 3,000 and came back up to about five and a half. I think I'm talking in Australian dollars. I do tend to get mixed up, but about five and a half, six thousand Australian dollars I bought back in. Um, I didn't buy a whole Bitcoin at that time. I probably got about three quarters. Um, and then I started switching into alts at that point. And um, so I was looking into Ethereum. I think Litecoin was the first thing that I bought into. Um, but I mean, the price action had gotten so boring that I got bored and kept moving from one altcoin to the other um, you know I'd sell I'd buy I'd switch it up I'd take it out I'd put it back in I you know I was testing out the market getting a feel for it and I suppose at the end of 2019 I started watching a lot of YouTube videos on crypto I'm, I follow Crypto Daily and Chico Crypto were the, the two people that I loved to watch and Chico Crypto um, he had mentioned Link and that was one thing that I kind of sat into for a while and I bought it at two dollars or just above I think it was like 230 and I sold it at about four dollars um, and I was really happy with that thinking that I hit the top and <laughs> looking at the number today <laughs> I'm like oh what the hell did I do but um, <laughs> I think it's just like everybody says hindsight is twenty twenty, and I thought I'd done really well and I had done really well I doubled my money again um, and I from there kept switching back and forth to find my space um, so all coins were were my big thing and I stepped completely out of Bitcoin at that time I don't own any Bitcoin right now and my husband does uh, probably about 0.1 of a Bitcoin but I see it as a store of value now kind of like your gold I don't see it as uh, having a utility as such it is great in terms of um, it will continue to rise in price but I can see growth in other Project, projects and I feel like there's more of an excitement sometimes with other projects and I you know there's a lot of Bitcoin maximalists out there that I don't want to upset by saying that but all coins have a huge community there's thousands to choose from there's a there's a buzz about it and I like that I like that feel of getting into something really early and being part of the growth so yeah that's all coins is where I like to sit now <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's it's a different mentality than it was back in 2017, the first time around. 
and it was actually very interesting back in 2017, uh, Coinbase, obviously uh, me being in North America is, is one of the bigger things and it still is a uh, big worldwide. Um, it was interesting to see that uh, Ethereum and, and Litecoin prices go up so fast because people just were convinced that they couldn't buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. So they go try to buy the cheapest coin that there was because they could buy it in whole. Um, and that was the theory as to why people bought in thinking that the price would go up. Um, and obviously, uh, we've moved forward as a as a community quite a bit, um, especially with people on the fringes just learning about cryptocurrencies. And and like you had mentioned, I do agree that there is a space for. And it's really weird because uh, the altcoin people and the Bitcoin maximalists will will argue all the time on Twitter. But I think there's definitely a space for both of them, and they and they both cater to different things. As you had mentioned, Bitcoin is now kind of converted initially the the uh, the thesis around it was to be a, a different global currency but obviously as we've seen with different issues in terms of uh, transaction speed and, and whatnot uh, we've seen that it's it's more going to fit a, a store of value um, a, a better gold per se whereas altcoins are, are, are basically like investing and I always talk about it like this investing in like tech companies so basically you're in at the ground level um, which is impossible when you're investing uh, in the stock market or, or with other uh, startup tech companies because you need to be an accredited investor. Here you can take $100, you can invest in an early stage tech company, um, truly believe in the tech uh, in blockchain that I don't think there's any debate that blockchain is going to be the future, even within the finance community that doesn't necessarily uh, agree with the principles of Bitcoin. Everybody seems to be using blockchain and has a foot in blockchain technology um, at some point in the future. Um, so there seems to be a consensus that blockchain is the future of technology and, and these alts are just all building different texts on the blockchain. So it's a, it, there's definitely a space for, for both of them to coexist. And, and I think it's very interesting that um, obviously there are a lot of altcoins that are pump and dumps that, that do nothing. Um, but but I think there are some ones like like Link and and obviously Reserve that that do have some type of real life use to them, um, that can be very life changing for a lot of people um, and a lot of companies going forward, which is which is really yeah. cool to be a part of. Um, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that with especially with things like Dot Link, um, Ocean like is a big one as well. These are ones that have great value to them, great growth, and they have a, a real case behind them and um, these projects are solid they're genuine i mean you look at the stuff like anything that has the name of a food i'm always extremely uh, anxious about getting into i just find <laughs> that a little bit dodgy and um it's it's like you, you know you're getting your pump you're getting your growth but at the same time you know why you're getting making money but you're not in it for the long term you're not in it for the for the you know being able to say I was there at the start of this incredible project that's going to take off and maybe become something that everybody's talking about and that's how I feel I like to be in something that I really feel has a, a genuine team it's got great fundamentals we use that tech and vision words as well because that's that's important to me I, I don't get into something unless I 100% believe in it I don't like to just buy something because everybody's talking about it because if I don't understand it and I can't discuss it with somebody it I feel it's pointless being in it um so I like to do my research and and be sure when I'm speaking about it that I'm confident about what I've bought yep and a lot of these other coins you talk about like these food coins obviously some of them have a, a value to them and have some type of tech but a lot of these other coins are actually holding our space back holding the alt space holding the cryptocurrency space back because they continue to be 
um, the things that these non-believers or these people outside of our, our space point to when they talk about how these things go up in value like crazy and then they just get dumped. So they're all pumping dumps and it just creates a negative connotation, a negative vibe to uh, the cryptocurrency space. Um, so it's definitely better if everybody was to focus on, on, on all coins and on projects that did have some type of real life value to them or the potential for real life value. Um, yeah, things agreed. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I just think that I wanted to get your opinion as well. Like, what is your opinion on Dogecoin? Like, what, what do you, how do you feel about it? Or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I was actually going to, going to mention that as, as one of them. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting because that sort of seems to be the one that, that everybody talks about. Okay. Well, there's absolutely no value to this thing. Um, there's no tech to it. Um, it, it's kind of it's kind of funny. My my opinion on that is uh, I I am not I don't hold any myself and nor will I ever. Um, it, it's it's one of those coins that I that I feel like is is holding the space back, and it seems to be a running joke. I mean, even Elon Musk talks about it all the time, but owning Dogecoin, um, and, and these jokes aren't necessarily things that are going to move our space forward. It's it's the tech and it's the the ability for, for people to, to see the tech in action that is going to move our space forward. And something like a Dogecoin will obviously never get there and it will just become a running joke. Because if you are looking to use something like that as a store of value, Bitcoin is, is the perfect thing for that. And it's better by 8 billion times better. Um, it, it's, yeah, so, so for me, it's, it seems to be one of those fun things that everybody talks about, but I think it's one of those things that, that kind of holds the space back. Yeah, I agree. I think that that, especially when Elon Musk is talking about it, that's that's big, and everybody you know listens to him. And you see how many like likes and retweets and um, comments that he gets underneath, and I just feel like oh, the people that are talking about these coins that have no, they're basically it's based on a meme, and it it's got no use case as such, and it it, it is frustrating uh, to see it. But we you know you got to see the light, lighter side of it as well. That Elon Musk probably is heavily invested in crypto in some regard and he does know what he's talking about he's just kind of stirring the pot and creating a bit of hype and that's fine like bring it on bring them in i'm happy to see more newbies coming into the space because we need them for for like the mass adoption you're right you're right uh, and it's pretty cool to start to see a lot of uh, financial institutions start to get on board and institutional investors um, so, it, so it does seem to be picking up a lot of traction, especially Bitcoin, obviously, will be the first one before people get more comfortable with, uh, I'm assuming, probably Ethereum will be next and then moving on to, to more altcoins, which seems to be kind of how, how bull cycles work in, in cryptocurrency. Uh, moving on to Reserve, uh, how did you find Reserve and what about the project attracted you to it? Yeah, so Reserve started with... Um... YouTube videos I was looking at, it was actually Chico Crypto back in 2019. Uh, he was talking about the top two or three altcoins he thought were going to be huge. And he started talking about reserve rights. And uh, when I listened to it, it was something that clicked with me um, in terms of, I don't know whether it's like my nursing empathetic side, but it had that human case to it. It wasn't just talking about blockchains and, you know, making faster transactions. This was actually changing the lives of people. And it was going to do something that was going to help maybe people in future in our culture as well. So South America obviously being the main hub of hyperinflation with all these people that can barely buy a loaf of bread with their um, currency. Um, and it, it sat with me uh, heavy. So I bought early 
um, into it, I bought at um, 0.0039. And the first uh, purchase that I made was about $350, just to kind of get a feel for it. Um, I I feel it, it was about February that I bought, even though I'd listened back in 2019, it took me a while to kind of settle into it or to, to feel confident to put some money in. And within a week of putting that in and after reading the white paper and getting an idea of what it was about, I literally moved everything that I had and put it all in. And it was a bold move at that time because I would be very risk adverse. I would be very careful about what I put my money into. And I was very diversified at that time. I had a lot of altcoins, had my hand in a lot of pockets, but something about it just said, put it in, it's it's going to be huge. And as I was reading it, I just thought, my God, this whole concept is incredible um, that they could create maybe a universal currency. And they, it, to this day, I still get extremely excited about it. Um, even like Nevin's not, when he's talking about it, he's very reserved, he's very conservative. He's very careful about what he says because he doesn't want to create expectations. But there was, uh, even talking about the last AMA that he did, there was something in his voice that, had switched and changed that got me really excited um about reserve um he could you can tell that it's nearly progressing um the way he wants it to or even maybe exceeding that i'm just 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 my opinion but you can nearly feel it in in him that he's very happy with where the whole project is but that's kind of what attracted me to it was the human case and the potential future need for this across the world i mean we had the global financial crisis which Ireland was one of the worst offenders. We were called them, referred to as the pigs in Europe. So we had Portugal, Ireland, uh, Greece and uh, Spain that were basically the worst offenders during the, um, with the banks and giving out loans and the defaulting on loans. So I felt like after going through that and suffering the depression in Ireland, especially, and having to leave and go to Australia, it felt very personal to me um, that this could happen, that governments could, you know, that the banks could run us into the ground and then the people are paying for it. And seeing what reserve is, it's actually for the people and being able to kind of sidestep the governments and their greed and corruption and have some control I suppose over your own funds um, sat really well with me and maybe it's something like my parents used to say to me I was a terrible person for hating injustice and I would always be for the underdog I always and still am um, always going to fight for the underdog and always going to help people that need help and it, it just it, it seemed to fit, fit my personality as well so uh, yeah reserve is everything to me I've, I've really i I've married my bags and I don't mind saying that uh, for sure. <laughs> and th- and that, that, that explains a lot as to why you're, you're a nurse uh, as a, as, as your profession. Um, and I definitely agree with everything you had said there. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting, even when you read on Twitter um, and reserve uh, at least the, this, uh, 
the the Spanish uh, version of Reserve, uh, their their Twitter account, they always talk about and have contests, and you see in the in the comments, and you hit the translate tweet, and the majority of people are asking to get onto this platform. And one, it's really encouraging for people like us who are invested in it. But two, you always kind of actually sometimes lose the perspective of how sad that actually is that somebody is really that desperate to 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 then go on Twitter and beg an account to to get access to this thing so that they can start saving up money and start building their life out and, and helping their family and, and doing these things. And it's, uh, it, it, it does, it does make you really sad at times, but at the same time, very encouraged as to the future of this project and how it can help uh, people around the world, not just in Venezuela, but in other third world countries that are having a hard time with their monetary policies and controlling inflation and, and ha having a hard time with people trying to save in those countries. So, so it is very cool. Um, I, I personally got into it a bit after, uh, after you had, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I've told the story before, but I got into it through uh, crypto God, John, uh, who's been on this podcast before uh, he kept talking about it in his, in his group, in his discord. But I found it really weird because I had no idea what it was. And the name isn't very attractive itself. When, when you hear the name reserve rights, I was like, is this some type of privacy thing? Or is this like kind of like basic attention token where like you're just trying to be be private on the internet or something like that? So yeah, like, oh, this, is, this isn't for me. Like, what is this? And then, but he had introduced it so early. And then it got to the point where it was like a penny. And I was like, holy smokes, this thing is, this thing is blown up real quick. Um, and then yeah. I decided to do some research and then you read the white paper and you realize it's got nothing to do with what the word or the name sounds like. Um, and then you're just, you get, you become so attached to the project. That's the thing. That's the thing I always talk to people about is that you've really got to read the white paper of reserve and, and that's the best selling feature that there is because that white paper is absolutely incredible. And I agree with that. I think with the white paper as well, like people say, oh, read the white paper. And a lot of people will immediately think, especially new people getting into the space, I won't understand a word, so I'm not even going to bother. Um, all I can say to everybody out there is you will understand the reserve white paper because it's written out so well and clearly. Like I wasn't a big crypto person. I'm not IT based in any regard. I don't have a mind for computers or understanding blockchain events. Um, and when I read it, I understood it and really got it. And I think that I would advise anybody, go, go read it. And that's why sometimes I'll do those little voice snippets is so people can actually hear it as well. Because um, it can be a lot to read. I think it's 29 pages um, of, of the white paper. People don't have the attention span sometimes. And I'm, I'm trying to work through picking those best spots and like reading them out to people because I want them to get what the project is about and to hear it and go, wow, that actually sounds incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm working on that. I want to do that a little bit more, uh, do some more voice notes and just pick out those little um, gold nuggets of the paper. And I know that, is it Arbornaut has it um, framed in his yeah. house? <laughs> that is brilliant. I, I, I don't know if you got around to doing it because you were talking about doing it as well. I'm still, I'm still working on it. So, so we're actually, uh, we're, we're moving, hoping to move pretty soon. Um, and, and when I move to my new place, uh, I will definitely have that up in my office. It won't necessarily be 29 pages like he's got printed off, but, but I did offer the, the one page with all of the little small, small blocks. So you can't necessarily read the whole thing, but it's got the same kind of sentimental value. So that will definitely go up. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's definitely no question about that. And that's a great point you put, uh, you said about the, the white paper being very 
readable to people who don't have much of a background in cryptocurrency or even blockchain. Um, the first part and, and the thesis as to why they're creating this project and starting this project is uh, is definitely something that everybody can understand. Um, even myself, uh, the, the back portion is a little difficult, uh, reading about mainnet and, and arbitrage and, and how that whole mechanism works. Um, and there's definitely lots of questions um, surrounding that, that topic uh, at the time for a lot of people who are super invested in it. Um, and, and, and Nevin has acknowledged that a lot of time and, and time will tell to see how it's going to play out. Um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see that um, later on in, in 2021, which is very, very exciting stuff. But in terms of the overall concept and, and the, the thesis behind this project, I, I think it's definitely very easy for everybody to understand. And it doesn't require any type of financial or cryptocurrency background um, to, to really get through it. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, the, your Twitter presence. Uh, what's it like being the queen of RSR? Uh, and, and how did you decide to, uh, to, to start a Twitter um, for, for something like this? It, like, it just, it was, it, it didn't even start off as people would think. Like I, I had an old Twitter account from like 2009 and it was my personal account. And it, it is, it was the name Sweet Sinner. I mean, the name Sweet Sinner was um, when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with Green Day. And I remember it was on one of the albums in like on the inner sleeve of one of them, there was this reference to Sweet Sinner. To this day, I can't find it. I, I've still gone searching, trying to find where the origin of this name was, but it just stuck with me for some reason. And it became like my internet name. So I put it on Twitter um, and I opened an account, followed like a bunch of celebrities, a few friends at work, a few friends from home. And basically the Twitter account, I, I forgot about it for years. And watching all the YouTube videos was kind of how I learned about crypto. And I needed to find somewhere else to get information. So I only stepped into Twitter mid this year, maybe uh, May or June, um, July, because I wanted to find out more about Reserve, talk to people about it. Couldn't find YouTube videos on it because basically nobody was talking about it. I think even Chico Crypto kind of changed from Reserve and was saying, oh, he was more about Maker now, which I'm like still a little bit surprised about with how the growth of Reserve has, has come about. But I um, stepped into Twitter and reopened the account, deleted all the celebrities I was following and started following people that were talking about crypto. I followed um, Crypto Dog and uh, King Kobe. Uh, Fuzzy was one of the first that I found that was talking about reserve. Crypto God John was one of the first that was talking about it as well. Um, then it was the Spectre group. So I had um, Bitcoin Brown, LL Capo and a few other names. Arbernalt was definitely one and yourself um, that was talking about reserve. I started following the, these guys, other crypto people, and I only had about 250 followers, I remember. And it was one night I was at work. This is kind of the turning point of like all the followers kind of accumulating was I was at work and I was trying to convince my colleague, you have to buy reserve. Look, this is what it's about. And I said, if you just put maybe like a hundred euro into it, I said, I'll set up your account. Let's get on Huabi now. I'll set you up, put your money in and just sit and watch it and see what happens. So she did. And I said to her, why don't you sign up a Twitter account and say, I've just bought some reserve. And she said, fine. She was really reluctant. Um, got her signed up as Orsor Emma. And I wrote out a Twitter post of saying, um, 
yeah, after getting my colleague to buy some reserve, please welcome Emma to the community. And it was Crypto Bull Ron who saw it obviously and did a giveaway, $25 to whoever follows me and Emma. And I remember I was going in and out of patient's room, pocket, my phone was in my pocket and it was just buzzing all the time. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Pulled it out and within, I'd say two or three hours, I'd gotten about 800 followers on top of my 250. So I'd made it to about a thousand followers. And my friend was like, what the hell is going on? Cause she never was even on Twitter. But I was like, this is huge now. There's actually people, you know, that are looking to get, uh, they're on a giveaway obviously. And they've just added me, but this is kind of giving me a bit more of a platform. So it exploded from that day. And I, sent crypto bull ron a message basically to say thank you so much for putting me in your giveaway and it was something that he said that really stuck with me he said you know we do, i do these giveaways because 95 percent of the people that receive that 25 dollars actually really need it but it also gets the reserve word out and people will listen um, to what you got to say and I, it, it stuck with me and I thought wow um, maybe I should actually do some giveaways to kind of get the word out as well and also as a thank you to him to say you know I, I'm actually going to pay that forward now what you've done it might seem small in terms of um, just getting a few followers but for me um, I feel like I should use this now that you've given me this chance so I think I put up my first giveaway and each one I would say I'm giving out reserve um, to try and get the word out and get people to understand like what it is they're like what the hell is this crypto and 90% of the people that were getting it really really did need it so I've had people from like India Philippines one guy told me it was literally like a week and a half wages for him and it was like $50 and I I don't I just felt like maybe I should be doing this a lot more because um, it really was getting the word out I don't take any of the reserve that I give out in the giveaways from my portfolio. I actually get it from trading. So I would do very small amounts of futures trading, working with maybe $50, $100. I'm in the Walsh Wealth Group and I um, 100% rely on those guys to give um, any entry points because I can't read a graph. I don't know anything about charts. So when they usually give a good call, that's when I will put maybe $50 in and try and grow that amount of reserve. And then whatever I can make profit out of that, that becomes my giveaway money um, because it's basically just plain money for me, but also it's getting the word out and I'm not really losing anything by it. Um, I've probably given out uh, 25 or 30,000. Uh, like I'm never going to be able to give out 5,000 of reserve again because it's it's so expensive now. But um, when I think about the amount, like maybe in a year's time, like that could be 25, 30 grand I've given away. And I hope that those people are holding it. Um, I hope it gives them a chance, especially to the people that can't maybe afford reserve or, or a sore that they, you know, this gives them a chance to, to hold a little bit. And, you know, we have a giveaway going on at the moment for our Discord group and anybody that joins, and um, there's a potential for, for 8,000 of Orasaur. So anybody that is looking to build their bag, jump on and join that giveaway. And, you know, you could potentially um, grab yourself a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's definitely interesting because your story is basically the same story I had in terms of growing my account now was kind of roughly the same too. Um, I decided to convert it to a uh, 
an RSR specific um, Twitter account. And then it was uh, crypto bull run that did the exact same thing. Did a giveaway. And next thing I knew I had like a thousand followers and I was like, Holy smokes, we're, <laughs> this is, this is pretty <laughs> awesome. And then, and then it just kind of took off from there. So uh, exact same story. So we have crypto bull run to thank quite a bit. Um, he, he's been a, he's been a great advocate for, for RSR and, and I continue to try to get him onto this podcast. Um, but hopefully someday I will be able to do so. Uh, and then uh, with regards to your giveaways, uh, I think I think those are absolutely fantastic. Um, I see you engaging all the time in Twitter, um, basically talking to everybody uh, about about RSR whenever you can, um, celebrities or not. Um, you just kind of shoot your shot and, and hope hope you get something back. But it's really cool the amount of engagement that that you have on your social media, and and I think it's awesome. You're one of the uh, one of the early people in, in uh, RSR Twitter, and, and you are one of the biggest players in RSR Twitter now, um, which is really cool. And, and I mean, even in the early days that you were talking about, it's really interesting because there was really nobody on Twitter that was talking about reserve. So if, if you just basically like use the dollar sign RSR, uh, if you were searching by that, there was maybe three or four people or five max that were really talking about it. So it was very easy to kind of follow along. And, and Fuzzy was the first one that I saw that that really dedicated his whole account to RSR. And he was he was the the first person that 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 I that I found on Twitter uh, with reserve. And, and so I decided to do the same thing. And it's it's really cool how how big it's grown in, in such a small amount of time, as you were mentioning. Um, I got in right around roughly the same time, sometime in the summer of last year. And even in about half a year, Twitter has just absolutely exploded with, with reserve uh, members and content. And it's it's really, really cool to see. And at the same time, it's kind of frightening that it's only been about half a year. I feel like I've been in this thing for like four or five <laughs> years already. Um, so, yeah. uh, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty I exciting. Feel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I feel like, I think with also as well, I mean, if you're only having 30,000 holders of Oris or, um, now that's only, that's only talking about people that actually have it in a cold wallet, whether it be like trust wallet or a hardware wallet. There, there's a very small amount of people that actually still own um, any element of Orosaur. And when you're trying to catch that group on, on Twitter, like I can't believe that I have four and a half thousand people following me sometimes. It actually blows my mind. Um, but definitely those people like Crypto God John and Bitcoin Brown, like these people are, are to thank for actually putting the word out. And Fuzzy especially, I mean, he he does it in a humorous way that I really enjoy. I mean, that's his content is just absolutely spectacular. Um, and it's funny and it's engaging. And I like to also um, debate with people about it. I like to talk to people about um, Orsor. And I found though that the more followers that I've been getting, the more kind of uh, FUD and hate and people, they're nearly simmering coming on um, some of my tweets. And uh, I've actually had to start start for the first time ever is blocking people now usually I love a good healthy debate and I'll talk it out but there's just those some people that just want to get under your skin and that's Twitter I mean that's just the world of it so you have to kind of be a bit heavy on that block button sometimes to to drown out those people from getting in your head and um, that's a real problem that I have to kind of to fight uh daily but it's it's okay like block block blocking works and you've got your fair share of people who have blocked you as well. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, the I mean, the worst person and the biggest person is actually David Gockstein. Is that how you say his name? Right. The guy who's huge on XRP. Oh, God. So it and it, it how did it start and how did it come about? It was uh, he was talking about XRP and it, and it was topping out. 
And I remember the SEC were coming in and they were basically coming down hard on it. And all these people were basically like, a cult underneath his comments you know he was telling them how great it was and bye 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 and I was thinking this guy is just going to dump on everybody so I kind of went for the jugular a little bit and made a comment not expecting to for him to actually reply but he got really pissed and um, I think I'd said something along the lines of he was a danger to newbies um, and that people were going like a lot of people are listening to him and uh, you know that mentality of they'll they'll buy because of you and you're you're talking at the top and he just blocked me just like that and I took <laughs> I took you know I took it nearly as a compliment because he obviously was either wildly offended by it or maybe I'd struck a nerve with him um maybe he blocks a lot of people but I was uh, annoyed about that and then uh, somebody had commented under um, one of his posts maybe a week or two ago, I think it was um, Bird's Driver or Sir Hightower had said something about, you know, denounce XRP and join us. And he basically said, only when you get rid of the Queen, send my regards. So um, that got me a bit riled up as well. And I had to, I posted a few things that I regretted um, because I got a bit wound up and I eventually deleted them because I thought, you know what, our reserve community, we don't want to be those people that are, are fighting with and, and arguing with people online. I think what we have is a great message and we have a great community and I really want to make it um, a genuine community that will listen to debates and don't mind actually talking a little bit of FUD and working our way through it. Um, not we don't want to be a cult we don't want to be people that are like you know like reserve or you know get out so it's I like to um, debate with people but when I sent those tweets I actually regretted them massively and said no that's not the person that I want to be on this platform I want to be seen as genuine I want people to actually uh, listen to what I have to say and say okay she is actually talking sense and she's not just um, shit posting all the time uh, which I do a little bit of just for fun but I like to mix it up between price fundamentals tech vision and also let's have a chat about reserve what don't you like what do you like and let's figure out a common ground about you know how we can work through those issues that you might see in reserve and talk them out yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because that's basically the uh, the thesis of why I started that Discord group, um, which has actually blown up. It's it's blown <laughs> it's blown up beyond my wildest dreams. It's it's crazy, but it was the fact that I it got to a point where on Twitter all I saw were just people trying to pump the price of RSR by by saying oh Coinbase next week, Coinbase listing next week, and there was no real discussion of the fundamentals or of the tech anymore. Uh, or, or of any future events coming up. And, and there was no real discussion of it. And, and Twitter is kind of weird because it doesn't necessarily allow the platform. The platform isn't really based upon having that discussion per se because of the limitations to the amount of characters you can have in a tweet. Um, so I just found it, uh, it would be a lot easier if we were able to start a group that would have all these people who were very enthusiastic uh, about reserve or were on the cusp of, of joining the reserve community uh, or just wanted to have that discussion to then open up and give them a platform to do so. And uh, you know, obviously you being one of the uh, the admins on on the Discord, it's, it's completely blown up. Um, we're having a hard time sort of uh, uh, reining things in right now with, with, the, uh, with the amount of exponential growth we've had recently. Um, but now it's over, it's well over a thousand people in, in the Discord and, and there's lots of conversation, uh, good and bad on, on reserve as well as other coins, as well as just random things. And it's building community again, right? Which I really love about the reserve community. And maybe it's because I've gotten 
I got into the community at the very beginning and, and I've seen it grow, but I hope that as the project grows and as more people come in, that we're able to keep that same vibe and that same feel because it, it is really fun to get to meet people across the world like like we're doing right now and 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 share that commonality just because we invested in this one project and to really get to know each other and and to have fun doing it along this journey is is really cool. Yeah, and like I think that also like the bigger that we're getting in terms of discord, you're gonna get the people coming in that are footing or hating, and you know that things are starting to get big when you get those kind of people in, people that are kind of sitting on the edge, they've bought a little bit, they aren't very sure about it, or those people that have sold and are kind of angry that the prices gone exponentially and want to create this fear in people um like you see it all the time people have tried to swing trade and they've like had to enter at double the price and you they will come in with a bit of animosity to everybody else that have sat and held and that's one thing that i'll always say to people is the best advice i can give is just buy it and hold it don't try and swing trade it you're going to cause yourself a whole world of pain if you do it um, and our community is getting massive and it's about you have to keep repeating the same message over and over again and i'm no expert by any means about trading or anything like that but i found that this is what's worked for me and i think that it has been relayed in the community as a whole this is probably the best way to make your money and to that's why we're here we're here to make money but we're making it with something that we really believe in um, and i love the community i love the discord it's absolutely the, i have to say it really has been such a help for me as well yeah yeah i completely agree and if you're not on there right now uh either see the show notes to this podcast below there's a link or you can go to my Twitter account, RSR Ernie, and I will have a link there in my Twitter bio. Um, just don't join the the Discord and call yourself RSR Cookie Monster or RSR Elmo, because <laughs> we've already got somebody who is RSR Bert, and he does not post very well, and it's becoming a bit of an issue. <laughs> so keep that in mind. I will not be afraid to use the blocker ban button <laughs> as well on the Discord. Um, so so yeah, uh, with regards to being a, uh, and I hate to actually even bring this up, but sometimes there is a bit of, of humor to it. Um, uh, but we are in 2021 and it's weird that this is still a bit of a topic, but being a female on social media, uh, how has that been for you? Um, and are there any kind of weird or funny <laughs> stories that, that you see in your DMs? I'm sure you must get a lot of these really, really weird DMs. Um, yeah. But if you want to talk a bit about that, that would be uh, pretty good. Yeah, I'm happy. I mean, I think um as a female in crypto you're surrounded by 95% i'd actually probably say 98% are men um i grew up in a house with two brothers i've no sisters most of my friends growing up were actually guys most of the guys um that on the street here with me were friends with me so i i i understand not that i understand male humor but i i definitely was comfortable around guys from I was a kid growing up and um, being in the space, it is heavy. Definitely. I feel like I'm being tested a lot. People will try and um, bring you down. I had one guy say that women are, aren't in the crypto space because they're, they're risk averse and they don't take risks. And, you know, basically they should be at home uh, cooking and cleaning. And I was like, well, actually, I agree with you on the risk averse thing and um, cooking and cleaning thing, maybe not so much, but <laughs> the <laughs> definitely risk averse, I would say that women are a lot safer. They don't really 
gamble into things. Um, I think when it comes to women being in crypto, it's usually there's a fierce independence there or something's happened that they need to become independent and they have found a way to try and make gains or to create their own wealth. Um, and I, it, it, that wasn't really a pulling point for me. It was just, I was interested in being in the space. I, thought, I found it funny, I found it interesting talking to people definitely there's weirdos there's a lot of weirdos out there um uh on twitter and i get some odd bizarre uh, dms all the time it starts off usually with when mainnet uh you know when when do you think we're going to hit a dollar do you know what the end of year price is and these are usually people that aren't even following me and i'll ent entertain them as a kind of a you know i want to know if they're really invested or they want to know stuff, I always take people with a pinch of salt. Um, I like to look at people uh, as being genuine, but at the same time, I'm, I've become more cynical. Um, get a DM and usually it <laughs> can get quite heavy quickly. And I've had a few people definitely send me some inappropriate pictures and it's like, OK, thanks very much for that. Um, I'm just going to move on and block you there and let's <laughs> keep going. But we've I've had um, one guy, actually, he told me that he made me his um, background picture on his laptop, which I was um, flattered by. But very unusual. I thought, wow, <laughs> thank, 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 thank you. Um, and he showed me a picture. I said, yeah, that's actually, not, thanks for using, that's a good picture as well. So, and I think he still has it. And nice guy. Um, I was definitely interested. Like it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, people, like I'm going to be diplomatic here and just say, use your imagination to some of the stuff that I get, but it, definitely the female component people don't feel comfortable nearly with you being in the space a little bit. And the, Anons uh, can kind of say what they want and there's no repercussions in a way like I show my face. Maybe I'm asking for a lot of trouble in, in doing that, but I like people to think that I'm genuine and it does. It brings a flood of people in that are weird um, odd, strange messages. It's it's yeah, it's probably a daily basis now at this stage. Some are I've what I would have regarded as being crazy back in the early days. I now say are mild because of some of the stuff that I've gotten. Um, and it's just it's just being in a male dominated area. They're going to chance their arm and you just have to keep your eyes open for the, the oddballs. Yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. It's very weird <laughs> because it's like these people also wouldn't say or, or I'm hoping wouldn't say or do those things uh, if they had met you in person. But yet um, there's this kind of barrier online. And you're, and you're right, like these anonymous people who don't post their pictures uh, and, and have like two followers and just or whatever, who really cares? They don't have much of a track record in, in posting anything. They just decide to, to go ahead and just kind of, I don't even know what, what they're hoping to get out of it. Um, yeah, but but it's, I, it's, it's very weird. And I, and I feel like if everybody just use kind of this, this general rule of not doing anything online that you wouldn't do in person, the online space would definitely be a lot better for everybody involved. Um, yeah. it, it just, it just would. I think what the problem is with some of the, the females that do get into crypto um, it can start off as genuine and then it kind of slips into like, like crypto finally. I mean, we, we know this girl, she posts herself um, in t-shirts and stuff like, and it's, you know, there's a lot of revealing stuff. People would be like, Oh, it's Monday morning. Has everybody in like a low cut top. You can't take these people seriously. And this is, 
oh, it really frustrates me because that's how females are kind of viewed in crypto as they're coming for attention. They're coming for followers. They're coming for people to just simp over them, basically. And when you're trying to be genuine, it can be a little bit disheartening and deflating when people just sink straight in with like the sexual in innuendos and the inappropriate comments. And you're like, thanks very much for that. I like to kind of send a good gif to somebody to let them know point taken, but also, you know, back off. <laughs> um, so I, I, I kind of do a lot of my um, passive aggressiveness through gifs to kind of send people away. Um, but yeah, there, yeah, it's it's an interesting space for for a per, for a female, um. But I feel comfortable in it now at this stage, and I kind of get um, ninety nine percent of of people there are genuine. It's just that one percent that will kind of bring the rest of people down, and that's okay. Yeah, and those females who do that for attention uh, in the crypto space are what we call Dogecoins. <laughs> there's there's <Yes>. no difference <laughs> from what we talked about before. They're holding back the rest of the female community from really taking a step forward in the crypto space. Um, so, so what they're doing definitely doesn't help. Um, but, but obviously, a lot of people, as you had mentioned, uh, are generally nice, and a lot of people can see through that kind of stuff. Um, so it's good. It's actually weird because I never actually, when I when I read anything that you write, I, I don't think of it from a female perspective that you're writing it. I just think as another person in the in the RSR community, which is the way it should be. Um, yeah. and, and and hopefully, uh, you you kind of get that vibe at least with with the Discord as well. Everybody talking that that there's no there's no any type of negative connotation because you are female and and there is that you're right there is that tendency to think okay especially in the finance space that that's been traditionally and still is very male dominated um that that a female's opinion doesn't necessarily matter as much but but there's no there's no difference in crypto crypto i feel like is is the and obviously i'm not the first person to say this it's it's the common denominator and it equalizes everybody throughout any type of path of life that you may have come across right male female doesn't matter what what race or, or sexual orientation you are it doesn't even matter if if you live in your parents basement it, we, we've seen that it's been the the, the the equalizer in terms of if you know what you're doing and you're good at it, it you can make money and you can make more money than anybody else appearance has literally zero effect on your success rate in crypto which which is which is really cool which is why, why i love it so much yeah and i think i'd love to ask you that question i suppose for yourself or maybe for anybody else out there is why do you think that women don't come into this space or even like forget about twitter and um, let's talk about like crypto like why don't women come into crypto specifically and um, i find that a bit strange because it's got such great opportunity yeah, it's interesting because uh, the way I see things is there may be a lot more women than we realize in crypto uh, because obviously it is anonymous, um, but they're, they're, they just may not be comfortable saying that they are because of some of the things that you talked about, potentially getting pictures of of, of things that you don't necessarily want to see and, and shouldn't be shown <laughs> in public ever. Um, those are the things that, that definitely don't help, right? And, and, that, and that may scare away people from, from wanting to come out and, and have a social influence in the crypto space from a female perspective. Um, stuff like that, that, that I think is, is, is definitely holding it back. Now, would I say it's 50-50 in terms of people invested? Um, definitely not. Um, I would say obviously it's it's very male heavy, but I think that's also a, gen a generational and, and also a societal thing. And we're slowly getting to the point where 
Um, obviously, we're nowhere near yet, but we are seeing more, more female equality uh, and, and bridging the gap to get closer to 50-50. And, and I think that that'll kind of translate into different spaces such as crypto. But I think for the time being, there still is that bit of a gap in society. So it's just the way it is in terms of everything else, which is, which is yeah, kind of sad, but you hope it moves forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to get as many girls that work into it as possible. I've only signed up two so far, and they're both incredibly happy with their investments. So um, I'm just going to keep pushing it out in the community for women as best I can. Yeah, is RSR yeah. Emma still uh, still a thing on Twitter? Is she is she active at all? <laughs> she definitely is holding the um, RSR that I've I've bought for her, and she has uh, put a little bit more in. She um, when I I actually I don't think she actually checked her RSR until it went to all time high like last week or the week before, and I sent her a scre- screenshot of the price. And I said, "Go look at your account." And she was like, wow, oh my God. And then she liked one thing on Twitter and then disappeared again. So I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe it's just too much for you right now. So um, she will probably, I hope, um, sink back into it because uh, she's a smart girl. She's great humor. And I think that she would do very well on Twitter. So um, yeah, I'm going to keep working on her and see how I do. Still a work in progress, but that Twitter account is still active, RSR Emma? Yeah, it's still active. It's RSR Emma one i think um but yeah she she's there she's just not um involved in twitter as much as i am <laughs> oh make sure everybody listening has got to go follow her too and, and peer pressure <laughs> yeah. into it so so that we get more of a female presence online so so that's awesome um okay so uh in terms of trying to wrap up this podcast as, as I've taken a lot of your time and I really appreciate this discussion and, uh, and, and to say that you were actually a bit nervous and, and kind of anxious to, to get on the pod. Um, you've actually done very well. You're, you're an absolute natural at this. So I don't know why it took you so long to, to commit and, and to say yes, but, uh, but hopefully, hopefully other people listening who are, who are timid and shy and didn't really want to come on the pod before are now more confident to do so because it's not really that hard. It's just a conversation um, and if you mess up, I mess up all the time. It, it, it's, it's natural when you're talking to people, right? Yeah, yeah I think just like the people, how they perceive you on Twitter and how they perceive you like in real life, like I'm trying like 100% being professional here. And usually I'm a bit of a messer and I like to kind of, you know, have a joke and stuff like that but I it's kind of how do I want to be perceived today and that's the fear is how do I come across I think that's what stops people coming on and also those tricky questions especially if someone's got like a a bit of a a dodgy past or something maybe they don't want to or if they're like that they're anonymous as well but yeah that's I'm delighted to be here and thank you so much for for having me on and I'm yeah I'm not fearful anymore (laughs) yeah three questions before before you go and I ask these for for every guest I've had on so far um what is the best piece of advice you've ever received um it's a cliche I suppose but uh trust your gut with your instincts um I think being yourself number one like don't try and impress others or don't try and go for that advice online that everybody uh, that those 20,000 or 30,000 people with the sorry the followers the people who have the followers are like 20 30,000 that are shilling stuff like don't listen to them make your own research and trust your gut with your investments and um, doing your own research I suppose uh, in a long-winded sentence I suppose that's my best advice awesome and what's the best book you've ever read uh, this, uh, this, 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 uh, this one called um, "And the Mountains Echoed." It's from um, Khaled Hassani. It's actually probably a very nursing, empathetic book, um, but it's about 
two siblings that get separated um, I think it's in Afghanistan and they eventually find themselves 50 years later and uh, it's just a very sad book it's the guy that wrote the kite runner and he's got several books but this one just oh my god it, it, my empathetic side just I, I cried nearly the whole way through it and um, but I also love uh, non-fiction books anything medieval anything about castles vikings and um, living lives in castles they're my favorite kind of things and um, i'm not a big fiction book reader and um, but that one was the one that i loved the most yeah awesome and the uh last question is your price prediction for end of year 2021 <laughs> so we well, couldn't be further actually... we couldn't be further away from it so good luck true so i'm actually it's it's pinned on the top of my um twitter page and i say a dollar um, I'm pretty confident looking at the like what we've got planned with the roadmap. I mean, we've got, first of all, the beta testing is still happening. We've got the edge of the alt season, whether it's started or not, is debated. Um, but then we've got the organic growth before mainnet and then with mainnet, potentially Coinbase afterwards. And yeah, I just see us hitting a dollar, maybe even before the end of the year, but I'd like to be it to be sitting at a dollar by the end of the year, whether it goes up or down before that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that is awesome. That is a uh, quite the contrast for me. It's it's weird because I'm I'm gonna get a little bit of heat from this, but I've been very conservative. I think end of year this year is 10 cents. Um, now, do I see it going up or down a bit uh, before that? Maybe it hits like 15 to 25 cents before that, but I don't think this year is when we'll hit a dollar. Obviously, I hope you're right and I'm not, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, that's, but that's to be seen. So, uh, so I'm definitely excited for what, this future, uh, what, what the future of this year holds. Um, as you had mentioned, a lot of checkpoints along the way for reserve to hit. Um, and I'm very excited to, to kind of go on that journey with, uh, with you and a lot of other members of the community. So um, I want to thank you again for, for being on the podcast. Um, and I will see you around on Twitter and Discord. Great. See you there. And thanks a million, Michael. Take care. I hope you're able to get lots of value from this podcast. And as always, if you're interested in reaching out to me, you can contact me on Twitter at my personal account at RSR Ernie or the podcast account at InReservePod. And if you don't have Twitter, you can shoot me an email at inreservepodcast at gmail.com or feel free to join our RSR Rangers Discord channel uh, in the invite link attached in the show notes below. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you on the next podcast.